Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Celebrate You, the podcast on personal development, entrepreneurship, and money. So this week, we've got Anna Shaw. She is the Director of Consumer Credit Deposits and Payments in the RFI Group. Basically, she's a researcher, and she loves um, everything and anything related to financial inclusion, uh basically financial well-being social impact so today our conversation of course it's going to be about that mainly financial well-being and how it's affecting us but it's also more from the lens of a researcher <laughs> rather than just like our random facts so anna thank you very much and welcome to the show Thanks so much, Monica. It's, it's nice to be here. And I think it's it's nice to flip the conversation as well, given I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago on, on my podcast as well. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Okie dokie. So let's start with how, well, tell us a little bit about you and how did you get passionate about financial well-being and inclusion? That is, it's an interesting one and something that I've noticed with actually a few women that I've spoken to as well, where they didn't intend to get into financial services. And that's the same with me. So I, the degree that I did was um, a Bachelor of Social Science with a major in Indigenous Studies. So my passion was um, Indigenous Studies, particularly in Australia, where I've grown up and where I've kind of traveled around a little bit and seen um, a lot of different communities. And for me, that was something that I was really passionate about because, and still are, because it's something that just doesn't get spoken about, especially in Australia, there's kind of this some people know about it, some people don't, but there's kind of a, a, bit, a big gap there. And it was something that I was interested in, particularly with research as well. So social science was a lot about, um, you know, there's a bit of sociology, a little bit of social research methods. And I found that research was kind of a combination of my skills where I enjoy writing. I enjoy writing based on, you know, information and data and literature. So that kind of was something that I really enjoyed. Um, and getting into financial services was not something I expected. I kind of thought, this is, you know, a space that I'm in. I'm, you know, I've got this job in financial services. It's interesting, you know, I'll probably change careers later on. And then I discovered financial inclusion and it was kind of this perfect hybrid of, you know, the things that I'm interested in, which is inclusion and well-being and equality and thinking about women and indigenous communities and, you know, who's being left out of conversations, but then with the specific focus on finances as well, which is something that affects all of us. And I remember even when I got this, got my first job in in financial services and it kind of in this space I remember someone saying to me a woman saying to me wow that's so good that you're in financial services because it's just something that women don't know enough about and I was thinking like that's just not something I even thought about I thought this is this is a job this is something that's going to be interesting but flowing on and thinking about how much I've learned you know even about credit cards and mortgages and savings and how all these products work and then comparing that with people outside of our Kind of financial services bubble you realize how much people don't actually know even about the basics of credit and how they can apply for credit and i think that was something that really appealed to me just even thinking on a very basic level there's a really low level of understanding about financial services and banking products um, kind of in australia but also globally you can see especially with younger people with women people who don't speak english you know there's there's different a lot of these products don't really they're not really necessarily able to meet the needs of everyone which means there are all these people who are left out so that's it's kind of a long story as to how I got into it I didn't intend to but here I am and I actually just found that it's this perfect hybrid of everything that I'm interested in in the context of also 
something that's so important you know finance is when it's good it's it's fine when it's not going well it's really becomes this massive burden for so many people yes exactly and and you hit like something like spot on that it's like not everybody knows the basics even even for i think like even for people who work in financial services just because you work in financial services doesn't make you a an expert on all the products so i may know about credit cards or lending but I may not know about uh, mortgages, for example. So it's like, when comes the time, then it's like, you're like, what? <laughs> so exactly. it, education is so important. And what's your definition? Because like, there is a thing called like financial inclusion and then financial well-being, mm -hmm. two different things. What's your definition of each of them? A great question. It's something that I also often ask um, other people when I'm talking to them about financial inclusion. And I think inclusion to me is just about making sure that there's, when thinking about what is available to people, there's not, you know, there's not a certain group who aren't able to access it. So it's really to do with access and I guess also the products just meeting needs. So if you think about inclusion, it's making sure that it's not just only suiting people who speak English or who are you know, Western educated or who live in certain areas, you know, have access to the internet or who live in metropolitan cities. It's kind of about access to these products and making sure that they're not just suited to, to one group of people. And I think well-being is sort of, from what I've been learning, it's inclusion is one thing. And I think that's something I've been speaking to a lot of people about as well. It's, you can have inclusion to products, but then that's fine, but what about actually benefiting from these products or what's the next step? And I think that's when financial wellbeing comes into it, where it's about is, is finance something that is causing you stress? Is it something that you, know, you feel comfortable with? Um, are you able to meet an emergency expense if something happens? If your fridge breaks, if your roof caves in, are you able to, are you able to do something about that? Or is that when you're suddenly really stretched? You know, are you kind of day to day or do you have a bit of a buffer? So it's kind of about that ongoing engagement with finances and whether or not it's having a, a negative impact on you. So I don't think I have a really clean definition, but I think as I've kind of been learning, inclusion is about access, but then well-being is about how it makes you feel and how it impacts your life in more holistic ways, I suppose, and you know how much of a burden it can be or how positive or negative it can be on your life. Yeah, which, which I think everybody has felt that stress at some point in our lives especially the past two years or so with the pandemic. Yes, exactly. So from your, I want to tap into your research mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> from your perspective, when it comes to financial well-being, what are the, the struggles that people are having? Like, what are the, what's, no, what's the story that numbers are telling us? Mm -hmm. This is where I can potentially even get some specific stats, but I think the big one, the big learning that we've seen in the last year and a half, two years, especially with the pandemic, is the real importance of an emergency savings buffer. So that's something that prior to the pandemic, a few people knew was important. It was something that, you know, some people naturally had a savings buffer just because of they knew that was the thing to do. Other people, even it's not necessarily like we're not talking about people who are really low income. This is people with reasonable, you know, high salaries. They're working and as their salary increases, so does their lifestyle. Um, but people not necessarily having money left over at the end of the month. And I think the pandemic has really highlighted the fact that there's 
there's a chance that you could lose your job, even if you're in the most secure of industries. Like I never would have expected hospitality to be an industry that was hit. I did years of hospitality before I was in financial services. And I've even in the back of my head thought, I wonder if I'd ever go back to hospitality. And now it's like, well, it's not even a secure industry anymore. It's it's so, who, who would have expected this? Yes. Um, and I think something that our data shows is um, when thinking about the unexpected expenses, there's a discrepancy between who would actually leverage credit versus using savings. So women are more inclined to actually use savings if they had an unexpected bill. Uh, we see that men are a little bit more likely to use credit. So there seems to be, there's a bit of a difference in terms of comfort with credit, especially. We see that women aren't as comfortable having debt. They're, they're more debt adverse, whereas men are more comfortable having and maintaining debt. And in the, in the event of an emergency, men are a little bit more comfortable you know, leveraging credit or utilizing credit and being comfortable they can manage that. So there is that conversation around, is it to do with this risk aversion? You know, who's more comfortable taking risks? But it seems that there is a difference in terms of who is actually comfortable with, with various uh, lending products. And um, then there's the other conversation that we've been having a lot in Australia is about buy now, pay later, um, which is yeah. kind of the exception here where we see that women are a little bit more likely to be using buy now, pay later if they had an unexpected expense and we see that women especially in Australia are more likely to be using buy now pay later in general and when you think about the product um, if you think about for example with afterpay it's it's four equal installments it's quite simple you know when we've tested various propositions to do with different buy now pay later um, offerings you see that the really really simple ones customers are more comfortable with because they go okay here's my $100 purchase I'll split it into four compared to interest rate you know, this is my repayment, this is the fee that if I do this, you know, this is the establishment fee. They're comfortable with the really simple so divided into four. It's the key. Exactly. And we see that women are happier or they're more comfortable or more likely to use buy now, pay later uh, compared to men. So it's, you've got this interesting difference here as well, where there's certain types of credit women are a little bit more likely to use and they're more likely to be engaging with regularly. Uh, but then when thinking longer term, there's some differences and I think some some broader implications when just thinking about you know what about taking out a home loan in the future what about um, understanding the the more traditional forms of credit as well um, but I think that the biggest learning that I think really came out of the pandemic was that the value of unexpected or having that that savings buffer especially if you lost your job and you never would have expected to have lost it yeah wow yes because now that is that is real mm. versus a rainy day exactly a lot of people used to save for a rainy day yeah and it was kind of a, a nice to have just in case something breaks you know it's fine whereas now it's okay i need to make sure i've got at least one to two months salary because i could lose my job at any second it's that kind of apprehension now that i think is a lot more front of mind for people than it was 12 to 18 months ago okay then I, I want to come back to what you said about credit and the difference between men and women. Yep. Is there, have you found, is there, are there any other differences that you see like gender specific? Women tend to do that, men tend to do that. And how is that affecting uh, people's well being? And the purpose of the question is to raise awareness. Because then if we are aware that, for example, as women in general, we tend to use our savings in an emergency rather than using the credit card, it, but men do the opposite, then it's a, oh, that's very interesting. 
And then maybe that makes you challenge your own thinking and you're like, oh, maybe next time I will not use the savings and I will use credit instead. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know those statistics so that then we can be aware and change our behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big ones is around confidence in making decisions. So we've got some data that looks at confidence, making decisions about finances and banking, and we get the respondent to rate their, their, their confidence making decisions on a scale of one to five. And we actually see that women are less likely to agree that they do feel comf uh, confident making decisions about finances and banking. So at a general level, we see women and young people, especially under 35, are a lot less likely to indicate high levels of comfort, whereas men we don't know to what extent they're overestimating, but we see just higher levels of indication that they're confident in making these decisions. And I think that does speak to some of these behaviors around how they're engaging with different financial products. So if you feel more confident, then you're maybe perhaps more likely to shop around or you know make a decision or choose a product and know that it is potentially suitable for you rather than generally feeling apprehensive or relying on other people to give you the information. Um, and I think another important stat is that we see women are also less likely to agree that if they actually lost their source of income, they would have enough savings to maintain their lifestyle for at least three months. So we see that women aren't as confident, aren't as comfortable with the with the idea, or they're not as confident that they would have enough money to sustain their lifestyle if they lost their income. Whereas again, men less likely to agree with that, so they think they'd be okay. Um, so there does seem to be an element here to do with gender, and then also with age, which we do see, you know, as a customer. Yeah, particularly when someone is 35 and above, like the more they see, the more they engage with credit themselves or take out different banking products as their needs become more sophisticated, they seem more confident making decisions, um, thinking about different products as well, going outside of maybe what, they, what they've heard from friends. You know, they're a little bit more comfortable researching uh, products and, you know, even doing things like engaging with products digitally rather than needing a face-to-face -face interaction. We see that tends to increase with age a little bit, it's kind of this middle group who are more comfortable doing things themselves, whereas a younger customer typically wants to talk to someone and get the help and get the advice. And I think yeah. that does speak to that life stage as well and what they're seeing, you know, as your friends start to take out mortgages, you start to think, well, maybe I could consider yeah, sure. that. Exactly, compared to when you're 18, you're maybe thinking, do I have enough money for this week or next mm -hmm. week or do I want a trip? Exactly. Okay. Um, what else, I think? In general as well, the data does show that women have a, a stronger preference for debit rather than credit as well. So a, a preference to pay with a debit card rather than a credit card, which is an interesting one as well, especially as we've seen overall in Australia and other markets as well, we've seen that debit usage has continued to increase. So especially now that debit cards are so, um, so similar to credit cards, you can buy online, you can use contactless, you know, you can buy from overseas websites with a debit card. It's a lot more functionality than, you know, 10 years ago when it was your FPOS key card or it was a little bit more limited. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, women are, are more likely to be preferring debit cards compared to men who are more likely to prefer credit cards, which again, speaks to this just discrepancy in, in the way they prefer to pay. Um, which Did you have data on the why? Something that I think, yeah, it's, I don't have a clear answer as to specifically why. I think that's one of the questions that I also have. Um, I, I do think that part of it does come down to that understanding of banking and finance. When you think about how do I maintain, how do I pay off my credit card? How do I engage with this product? If I have a low level of understanding of that product, am I going to be as comfortable 
with the idea that I can manage this product effectively. I think that does come down to it. Um, and potentially as well, I mean, we see that men are more likely to be engaging with uh, investments. So particularly things like cryptocurrency or um, even engaging with, you know, buying shares, trading, et cetera. So perhaps again, it's this, this engagement with the market. They're more likely to feel confident. They're more likely to be engaged with financial news and, and be talking about this type of thing with maybe friends and colleagues. Um, so potentially they're just more engaged with the market in general or more interested in, in these types of products. But these are some generalizations. So there would be some, some exceptions to the rules, but it's, it's an interesting difference, I think, without a, a really clear black and white solution or a clear answer as to why it is. But I do think that understanding and confidence is kind of at the heart of a lot of this. Yes, I have a question that it's like, it's two questions into one, but it's the how. <laughs> How do we build confidence with our money? And then it's a different question, actually. And then the other one, it's like, what's the best way to learn about money? Yeah, it's two different questions. Yeah, it's a really good question. And one that I also am quite interested in because financial literacy is the other one. It's the other topic that yes. you know is, is being spoken about a lot. I think some, some people prefer financial wellness compared to literacy because, again, you can have the understanding, but to what extent does that give you the, the tools to make decisions? You know, it's kind of inclusion, literacy, wellness. Um, yeah. But I think in terms of how do you increase people's understanding, I think the first thing is having really clear and accessible places people can go. So if I have a question, if I want to know, you know, I've got Maybe I'm doing, maybe I'm buying something like I'm buying a fridge. It's, a, it's an expensive purchase. And I'm thinking, I've got the savings, but should I put on a credit card? What are the benefits to that? Having sort of clear resources where people can go can be quite helpful. So I think really clear online resources can be helpful. Things like um, just really neutral kind of, not from a bank necessarily, can be from a bank, but just kind of not pitching people the product, but just here's a credit card, you know, here are the pros and cons. Here's how you can leverage this. Here's how you can you know, get caught with it, you know, here are the benefits and, you know, pros and cons. And I think we, we see those types of, some of those websites online. The only danger can be when there's those affiliations where it's like, you know, this product's great, sponsored exactly at the top. And then it can be a little bit, it can have that skew. Um, but I think one of the big ones is like finances, they're not always something that you talk to your friends about. You know, if you, if you buy a mortgage, you're kind of, maybe you talk to your friends, maybe you wouldn't, you know, if you're doing it younger than everyone else, maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable or if you feel like people are going to make a decision, you know, they want to, they'll just have a thought about it or, you know, when it's to do with savings or investments, I think there's a lot of people just aren't comfortable talking about financial matters with friends and family. And we see that in our research as well, where it's, you know, would you recommend your bank? Or well, I don't, you know, I don't really make recommendations about banking products because it's not what I talk to my friends about. Yeah. And I think, that's kind of a limiting factor because, you know, there's a lot we could benefit from talking to friends yes. and family about financial products. You know, even I remember I was talking to one of my friends who is traveling a lot and I was saying, oh, have you been using a, a travel card? And she says, oh no, I just use my debit card. And I was thinking, well, what about like exchange? What about the fees? Like there's so many other ways. Yeah, yeah. But it's people don't, they don't ask the question. So I think part of it is this encouraging dialogue, but also making sure there's just clear information that people can, can have a look at and making sure that it's quite clear and it's accessible and um, that there's, you know, information on kind of everything. So what about a mortgage? What do I need to do here? Um, and I think accessible information, 
you know, that's not full of jargon as well. Just make it really friendly. So what you're describing, it's kind of my go-to school for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's part of it, actually. Uh, it's my go-to. Oh, yeah, exactly. How about a mortgage? Everything you need to know about, like, a mortgage. Yeah. How about, like, savings? How do I grow? It's like a school, a yeah. class. Everything mm-hmm. that you need to know about money to be safe and grow. Yeah. I think speaking of school as well, that's something, it's another great point where if you can actually teach people about finances from a young age because that is the other big thing something if you like your idea of money is really it's taught from your parents and your who you live with and you know there's I think a lot of it is you either get brought up with you feel comfortable with money or money is stressful it can be traumatic it can be a real cause of a lot of issues or a lot of you know something I don't want to think about money because money's been a burden my whole life you know it's even money itself as as a thing is already such a it's, it's really based on a lot of how you grew up and your conditioning and what you were taught so I think if in in schools you can actually be taught some of the basics I think that also helps a lot because I think there's been you know a lot of people have said well how come I never learned about tax or insurance or how come I didn't learn that in school because now I'm, I'm 20 and I don't know how to engage with this um, and I think that those types of those learnings if they can be taught at a younger age, I think that really helps. Or even, you know, the basics are taught in primary school or kind of early education. And then the when you're more closer to that university, kind of late high school, you'll learn more of the specifics, more sophisticated financial education. I think that would make make a huge difference. Um, well, although the only challenge is where it comes from, because we've had some issues in Australia where it's been provided by banks and there's been some conversations of, conversations about is that appropriate when potentially that's helping to drive mass market yeah. share yeah. yeah and maybe inevitably credit products that you know the customer wouldn't have taken out without that ongoing relationship so it's a tricky one but I think yeah education from a young age as well but also that one-stop shop or the go-to school for everything that you need every question you have it's all there it's all accessible there's no sponsored affiliated links it's just here's the information and then maybe perhaps if you have any more questions someone you can talk to for some advice yeah that's beautiful. And then my follow-up question on that is, we touched on talking with your friends about money, well, and mm. anything related to financial products. How do you think we can make money more social? E.g., mm. how do we create that conversation? How do we make it part of our day- day-to-day life rather than the exception? I think one of the tough things is it's like, it's like if you're feeling insecure about your fitness and your friends telling you about how much they're going to the gym, you just feel worse about yourself. And it's because we impose our own stuff on other people. And it's, you know, your friend might be doing really well at work and it makes you feel bad because maybe you're not feeling good about your work. So I think that's the difficulty with money because everyone, there can be that, you know, I feel bad because my friends bought a mortgage and I'm this age and I should have bought one as well. I think that's one of the huge barriers with mainstream conversations about money. Comparing ourselves to others and feeling bad that we are not where they are. And that is very disempowering mm-hmm. because instead of being, yes, I will get a mortgage. I will buy a car. I will have a sabbatical year. I will, you know, like uh, study a master's. Instead, mm. it's more of a, the brain will always go to the negative. So instead, yeah. it's more of a, oh, I'm comparing, oh, she is 
same age and I am not, uh, yeah. I don't know, privileged, no privileged. Uh, I cannot, I don't have the, like all the gremlins start taking over. Oh, that's, that's good. Exactly. It's very <laughs> good insight actually. Yeah, I think it's something that I've just noticed in terms of how people speak about money. I think especially there's, it's almost like there's the, the surface level, oh, congratulations, you bought a house. And then there's the underlying, oh my gosh, how do they do that? You know, what are they, you know, who gave them the money? It's that, how, how could they be there when I'm here? And it's, I think if we can kind of, I think a lot of it is how people, I guess, who's who you're talking to, like hopefully with close friends, you know, you've got less of the inclination, more likelihood of being genuinely happy but it's hard right even if your best of friends when they're doing things and achieving things and if if you're in that kind of just moment where you're not feeling as good it can be really hard to not take that the wrong way um because yeah you you're you're happy for them yes but it's more yeah. the doubts and insecurities get into your mind and yeah. it's more of a I also want that and I don't know and then it's like I will never get it and then at the brain just like goes its own way and takes over. Exactly. So, yeah. So then the, the question, well, not the question, the insight is, or a better question is, oh, a better question for you is, how do we have empowering conversations with our friends and family about money? That's a great question. I think part of it is trying not to impose our own stuff on other people or just trying to, separate it and kind of appreciate that we all go through different things you know if if your friends bought a house it doesn't undermine the fact that they've had a really tough upbringing or their job's been miserable or you know they've just broken up with their partner or whatever it's kind of looking at things in the context of the in the context really and kind mm -hmm. of genuinely being you know thinking about who that person is who they are to you and trying not to relate it to yourself I think it's really difficult like I said with the fitness thing if you're feeling unfit and your friend's getting really fit and they're getting really into sport and you just think oh great they're like now they're this and I'm not that it's kind of going okay well I'm me that's fine they're my friend they're doing this they've bought the house or they've gotten married or whatever it is I'm happy for them and it doesn't it's nothing to do with me um, and I think if you can also you know, have enough, have conversations where, okay, you bought a house. That's really interesting. How did you do that? Because I'm really struggling and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the deposit. And then if you can kind of have that conversation, it is tough because I just think money is always kind of a tricky conversation. It can be, it can be quite tense, but if you've got the relationship and you can actually learn from friends, then you can actually find out, oh, like, so you didn't get a 20, you know, you didn't have a 20% deposit. You actually leveraged um, LMI so you actually did lenders mortgage insurance and you were able to you know buy the home with 10% or you actually found this government scheme or this grant that enabled you to buy the house I didn't know about that that's fantastic now I'll maybe I can look into that it's like there's all these missed opportunities because we keep our cards really close to us and I think a lot of it is just thinking about how we engage with people um, and I guess just knowing knowing what you're like and I guess if there's if you're thinking that you're feeling a bit in your own head and someone's telling you they're good news trying not to blur the two together <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah there's really no clear solution I don't think but it's just being open to learning and open to other people's achievements and just seeing okay well if they can do it maybe I can do it rather than oh they've done it I haven't done it therefore I failed I love that yes it's like if they can do it I can do it yeah yeah just need to figure it out 
mm. at the right time, my time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm loving this conversation, by the way. It's very real because yeah. this is what goes through people's minds. Absolutely. And I think money, you know, even talking about money with your partner can be stressful. Talking about it with your parents, with your siblings, with anyone, it's not necessarily comfortable. And we can't discount the fact that it's not always a friendly conversation because money is quite stressful for most people, especially in the pandemic where all of us are kind of looking at our bank accounts going, are we doing the right thing? Are we saving enough? Are we spending too much? And then we're also, you know, torn between lifestyle. It's, you know, I want to have a good yeah. life, but also I don't want to spend all my money and regret it. But also, should I be buying a house or this or that? Yes. Um, you touched yeah. a beautiful point. Having a conversation with my partner about money. Uh. How do you think people can go about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a tough one. Um, something that I even I'm still figuring out. Because my partner, he's he's really good about talking about money. Like he's just quite comfortable. He, you know, just gets the information and he can leave emotions out of it. Whereas I'm just quite emotional. I just sometimes can't help it. I'm like, oh, but what about this or this? And this number means this. And I think the key thing is don't start the conversation when you're feeling emotional, sensitive, when you've had a really bad day at work. Don't start the conversation at 10 p.m. when you're both exhausted, he's falling asleep, you're, you know, worked up. Like that's, I think it's about, I think my mum would say is set yourself up for success. You know, it's making sure that you're not starting a conversation when it's not going to end well or when you're not in the right state of mind. And you know, it's something I'm still learning, but I think that's a really big one for having a successful conversation about money. Pick your moment. Pick your moment. That is beautiful. Pick your moment. Mm. And just like, that's a beautiful way kind of like to wrap this up. Two more questions. What is the, do you have a regret when it comes to money of something that you're like, oh, five years ago, I could have done this and I didn't? I think I probably spent, so I, I, I've always liked saving money. Like I found that I'm, I'm quite good at saving money, but it used to be at the expense of things sometimes. So if I, if I wanted to get something, then I would, you know, wait and wait and wait until it was on sale or, you know, I would, you know, I'd go out to dinner and the entire time I'd be thinking oh my gosh this is so expensive like did I enjoy that meal that meal cost me $30 did I enjoy it to the extent that $30 is worth you know I get in my own head about to what extent the money was worth the enjoyment and then I think well how could I today enjoy this when I could have at home cooked dinner for this much money and I think there was a lot of internal conflict just around what I was spending money on when I could be saving it and I think a lot of it came from you know, when I used to work in hospitality, I'd get $10 an hour. So in my head, everything was, if that cost me $30, I, I you know, I would have worked three, three hours. hours. That. Yeah. So it, it took a long time to get out of that headspace and, you know, not relate everything to hours worked and actually think, well, okay, yes, this meal was this amount of money, but I caught up with this friend who I haven't seen in six months. We had a great conversation. They opened up to me about this and I got out of the house. You know, it's trying not to be in your own head about everything and whether or not the money spent was worth it and it's something that I still struggle with sometimes I'm like oh do I want to order a meal you know order some takeaway food or is that worth it like have I earned it have I had a have I worked hard enough and it's like well sometimes you've just got to do what you feel like you know within reason yeah. it's a fine line yeah. but it's not helpful if you beat yourself up every time you buy something so I think that's probably the, the learning that I've, I've spent the last you know five to ten years trying to figure out but it's you know, just about letting yourself have some things and not beating yourself up over everything you buy. 
That's a beautiful, beautiful piece of advice for everyone. <laughs> and then now if we move towards the future, five years from now, and you look back, knowing everything that you know about uh, all the research work that you're doing and financial well-being and uh, how fast the world is moving, say the world of crypto uh, payments, like everything that you know in the context of financial services, if you apply that to your personal life in five years time, what would you tell Anna from today in 2021? Anna, you need to be doing this now. That's an interesting question. That is, that is an interesting one. I think it probably actually speaks to what I said just before around not beating myself up about everything that I do, like in terms of money. So I think it's going to be, you know, in five years time, potentially I'd be like, you know, I'd like to be living in a house, potentially starting a family. And it's, you know, it's going to be making sure that in the last, you know, the next five years that I'm making sure that I'm saving enough, definitely. Um, but also that I'm enjoying the time, you know, the downtime with my partner, making sure that I'm, you know, making, ticking off the milestones at work and doing the skills and making sure that, you know, I'm upskilling where I want to um, in the next couple of years so that I don't get to five years and think, what have I done the last five years? Because time goes so quickly. And I think that even right now, it's, you know, it's just me and my partner in a one bedroom apartment. And it's actually really nice to just have the time, you know, we've got the free time we're in lockdown but you can actually just you know cook a meal or watch some tv and there's no stresses like it's I'm trying to make sure that I enjoy those while also you know having the savings so that we can make the decisions later on that we want to um but I think just trying not to get too stressed about everything because there's already things that are going to be stressful in the future um Relax. It's not, stressing in advance for, for future stresses yes oh that's such a beautiful that's one of my it's one of my daily mantras I am mm -hmm. relaxed. I visualize yes. myself relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep saying it. <laughs> yes, it's like, it's relaxed, chill. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cool. Oh, it's been a beautiful episode. Um, anything else that you would like to tell people right now who are under financial stress? I think have a look at you know, have a look at the information that's out there. If there's an opportunity to have a conversation with someone, whether it's someone you trust, a friend or family member who, you know, isn't going to give you judgment. Because I think sometimes if you speak about money, it's why aren't you doing this? You need to do this. So speak to the right person if you've got one. If you don't, there is opportunity for financial advice. I think they're, they're usually, I'm not sure how it differs in different countries, but there usually is free financial advice that you can access if you need it, especially if you're under stress. Um, otherwise, if you speak to your bank, there's often opportunities for them to give you some advice in terms of the numbers. So yeah. if I want to buy a house here, is this possible? They'll tell you, you know, yes or no, based on your, your uh, debts and your income. Um, but I think just try and get the information and don't put it in the too hard basket. Because I think that's the hardest thing. You think, oh, money makes me, I already feel stressed thinking about it. I'm just going to put it over there. And then it's been five or 10 years and you haven't necessarily got what you wanted uh, because mm. it's just, it's, it's nerve wracking and it's stressful. Yeah. Um, so I think ask the questions if you can get the information um, and don't be afraid to kind of think about finances, which is something I still try to make sure I'm, I'm doing and I'm not going, oh, I don't want to talk about it now. Let's talk about it later. Just going, okay, it's a good, it's quiet Sunday. Let's have the conversation now. That is such a beautiful piece of advice. 
don't be scared about your finances. Yeah. Just put the time, little by little. Little yeah, and it takes time, but it's worth it. And it means that you can kind of go into the next period of time going, okay, I've had that moment of stress looking at my entire finances, but now I know where I'm at. Now I know exactly where my income goes. Now I know how much I can realistically save. You can forecast your savings as well. You can actually get an idea of what you can do in the future. And I think having that information is really empowering. It's just getting there is the hard part. But once you have it, it's your own information. It's your own money. You know, there's a lot that can be learned from it. Yes. And then there's where all the fintechs and the apps and the digital banking comes in because then you've done all the work and now you're like, okay, which app do I use? Yeah. Crack which one do I try? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been a beautiful conversation and I love that it was very it was both based on research and data and at the same time, very human and real. So it was like very, very powerful. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was great speaking to you. Yes, thank you. So if you, you are listening, then remember to listen and then pick one idea and then take action. You don't need to pick five, just one idea and take action and then let us know how it goes. Ah, one more thing. Anna, where can we find you? So on LinkedIn, um, there's it's my name, Anna Shaw, and there's a little bit more information about some of the people I've interviewed in the financial inclusion space, some articles I've written, um, and of course, the podcast that Monica has been interviewed on recently. So that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. That's the RFI Group Global Digital Banker podcast. Um, we release episodes every fortnight. So feel free to check us out there if you'd like to learn more about what other people are doing in the financial services space and also the financial inclusion space. Yes, amazing. Thank you so much. And everyone speak to you next week. Enjoy and sending you tons of love. Bye-bye. <laughs>